This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. Welcome to Party on the Peninsulas. I'm Lavora Barnes. The word this week, vote. Early voting is underway in Michigan's presidential primary. A vote for any presidential candidate other than Joe Biden, or a vote is uncommitted, does not help our cause against Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans. Trump and the MAGA Republicans are a danger to our democracy and to the health of our nation. Trump and the MAGA Republicans are looking to undermine our democracy, remove gun safety measures, stall our nation's economic progress, enact a national abortion ban, and much more. President Biden and our vision of unity must be at the forefront, and that begins with a united effort to support President Biden in the primary. The nine-day early voting period, culminating with the election on February 27th, is a result of one of the 142 new laws passed in 2023 by our Democratic legislature that went into effect last Tuesday. The delay was thanks to ongoing Republican foot-dragging. The state constitution says a law can only go into immediate effect if it gets two-thirds vote in the House and the Senate. Republicans decided to delay the inevitable on all of those laws by denying the two-thirds immediate effect vote. Regardless, the early voting law is part of a package of bills enacted by the legislature to make it easier for Michigan citizens to exercise their right to vote. Other new electional laws include secure drop boxes, electronic tracking, and streamlined absentee ballot processes, including a permanent vote-by-mail list. Another new law directs the state to automatically register people who are leaving incarceration. Effective in June of 2025, this landmark legislation restores voting rights for historically disenfranchised people. Against a backdrop of historical disenfranchisement, Democrats stand as fervent advocates for voting rights and will continue working to strengthen voting rights and accessibility for all Michiganders, especially Black voters. Election officials across Michigan have faced threats of violence since the 2020 election, hindering efforts to fully staff elections. A new law protects poll workers against intimidation and threats, ensuring a safe environment for election workers. And another makes it a felony to prevent an election official from performing their official duties in conducting an election. House Democrats have solidified Michigan's commitment to accessible and secure elections with key bills reflecting ongoing efforts to strengthen the state's democracy. The measures increase access to voting, safeguard the democratic rights of Michiganders, and affirm Michigan as a place where every voice matters. And best of all, Michigan's chief elections officer is the nation's best Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson. She's one of the nation's leading experts on election law and literally wrote the book on running state elections. State secretaries of state, guardians of the democratic process, looks into their pivotal role in the promotion of a healthy democracy. The book provides the first in-depth study of the Secretary's role in registering voters, enforcing voting laws and regulations, overseeing elections, and certifying results. In the wake of these monumental legislative victories, Michigan stands poised for a new era of empowered voters and strengthened democratic values. The dedication of our lawmakers has made it easier for every voice to be heard at the ballot box. While the 2023 legislative session was a record-setter for passing important laws, there's more to be done. One important effort will be expanding on the state's contribution to fighting climate change. 
Washtenaw County State Senator Jeff Irwin will be part of the leadership team on climate change. He'll join the podcast in a moment after this update on some of the news stories from the week on policy and politics with MDP's Dorian Tyatt. In the news this week, efforts by House Republicans to come up with a reason to impeach President Biden suffered a possibly investigation-ending disaster during the week when their star witness was indicted for lying about Joe Biden and his son Hunter's involvement in business dealings with Ukrainian energy company Burisma Holdings. Alexander Smirnov claimed both Bidens were given $5 million bribes by Burisma. The federal indictment charges him with making a false statement and creating a false and fictitious record. The allegations are a massive blow to House Republicans' attempt to impeach Biden, which relied heavily on accusations levied by Smirnov that the president was financially benefiting from his son's business dealings in Ukraine. The indictment says Smirnov's claims made to the FBI were a fabrication an amalgam of otherwise remarkable business meetings and contacts. Republican State Representative Josh Shriver has been stripped of his state house budget and staff after sharing an ex post about the Great Replacement, a racist conspiracy theory claiming there's a Jewish plot to replace America's white population with non white immigrants. In recent years, the conspiracy theory inspired mass violence in Buffalo, El Paso, Pittsburgh, and elsewhere. Schreiber has faced a backlash since reposting an image last week depicting Black figures surpassing white ones on a world map. On Monday, Democratic House Speaker Joe Tate announced Schreiber would lose his committees and resources as a result. For his part, Schreiber told the Detroit News he opposed racists and said, quote, What I find strange is the agenda to demoralize and reduce the white portion of our population. That's not inclusive, and Christ is inclusive, end quote. A special committee convened by the Republican National Committee determined former Ambassador Pete Hoekstra is the rightful chair of the Michigan Republican Party, even as rival chair Christina Caramo's faction vowed not to recognize the decision. In an interview with M. Live, Hoekstra said it's an overwhelming case that it is over, end quote. The RNC decision came days after Donald Trump endorsed Hoekstra's claim to the chairmanship. Paramo made it clear it won't be a peaceful transition of power. Her faction said in a statement Wednesday evening that it's business as usual for the Michigan Republican Party, and she will continue to serve as chairwoman in spite of the ruling. Former Republican Party Executive Director Jeff Timmer now an advisor to the Never Trump Lincoln Project, said it appeared to him that the party's rules favor Ramos' continued chairmanship. Speaking on the podcast, A Republic If You Can Keep It, Timmer noted that Karamo continues to control the party's bank accounts and mailing lists. A conservative group has told a Georgia judge that it doesn't have evidence to support its claims of illegal ballot stuffing during the 2020 general election in a runoff two months later. Texas-based True the Vote filed complaints, including one in which it said it had obtained a detailed account of coordinated efforts to collect and deposit ballots in drop boxes across metro Atlanta during the November 2020 election and a January 2021 runoff. After a Fulton County Superior Court judge in Atlanta signed an order last year 
requiring True the Vote to provide evidence it had collected. Attorneys for True the Vote said the group had no names or other documentary evidence to share. United States Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says former President Donald Trump has been lying to workers about electric vehicles and the future of the automotive industry. A technological revolution is happening, Buttigieg said during an interview with the Detroit News in Lansing. And the only question is whether American workers will win or whether they will be left behind. Buttigieg told the newspaper, quote, believing that you can just pretend that the old technology will win forever is like telling workers in the early 2000s that they should really double down on making rotary phones and that mobile phones won't really be a thing. It's just not happening. There's no going back. The New York Times reports that Donald Trump has told advisors and allies that he likes the idea of a 16-week national abortion ban with three exceptions, in cases of rape or incest, or to save the life of the mother, according to two people with direct knowledge of Trump's deliberation. Trump has studiously avoided taking a clear position on restrictions to abortion since Roe v. Wade was overturned in the middle of 2022. He has said in private that he wants to wait until the Republican presidential primary contest is over to publicly discuss his views because he doesn't want to risk alienating social conservatives before he has secured the nomination, the two people said. Texas Army National Guard soldiers stationed in Eagle Pass, Shelby Park, as a part of Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star, said their mission is little more than a photo op, according to the Huffington Post. If anything, I think it makes for better pictures for campaign ads, said Hunter Schuler, a former Texas Army National Guard medic who served in Shelby Park on Operation Lone Star before his service ended last year. He explained that members of the National Guard was made to perform, quote, elaborate demonstrations complete with riot gear, helicopters, and speedboats on the adjacent Rio Grande. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb is the most recent Republican governor to send National Guard troops to serve in Texas. Indiana Democrats lambasted the move as a political stunt. The state Senate Democratic leader called the deploying of 50 Guard members for 10 months the politically driven farce, the waste of time and resources. Link to these and other stories are on our website, partyonthepeninsulas.com. From Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyler. Senator Jeff Irwin is a fearless advocate for the environment, public education, and criminal justice reform, among other areas. He is serving his second term in the Michigan Senate. Since 2018, Senator Irwin has introduced legislation tightening regulations against polluters and ensuring our schools are properly screening students for dyslexia and getting them the help they need. He has worked to allow more juvenile offenders to seal their records, expunge all cannabis-related offenses, ban PFAS in food packaging, and expand the earned income tax credit. Irwin has a bachelor's degree in political science from the University of Michigan and lives in Washtenaw County. He represented the city of Ann Arbor in the Michigan House of Representatives from 2011 to 2017. He talked about Michigan's efforts to save the planet from climate change, as well as his efforts to maximize the young voter turnout in November with our Walt Sorg. Senator Irwin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Always good to talk with you. Likewise. Thanks for having me on, Walt. 
As Chairperson Barnes pointed out in the introduction, the legislature's already done quite a bit, more than most states on climate change. What are some of the highlights that you had going into 2024? At the end of last year, we passed a package of historic clean energy bills that are focused on not just positioning Michigan to you know do our part to prevent climate change or to lessen the impacts of climate change, but it also put Michigan in a position to create a ton of clean energy jobs, make our state more energy independent, and drive down the costs for Michiganders long term. One of the issues that the, the governor has raised for 2024 has been providing some state subsidies for electric vehicles, which is both a climate issue, but also for Michigan, of course, a huge economic development issue as the still the center of the automobile industry. Do you see that moving forward as a part of the 2024 agenda? I, I think that's a big centerpiece of the governor's agenda in the budget. Uh, there are all sorts of things that we can do to you know, promote uh, the building of the cars of the future here in Michigan. One of the things that's always been a focus of mine has been, why is it that in Michigan we have special additional taxes for electric vehicles? If we want to build the cars of the future, do we want to create special taxes for them? The governor's approach is, let's do tax credits for purchases of new vehicles. Look, we need to make sure that this is the place where we build the cars of the future. We have a tremendous amount of our economic future wrapped up in the auto industry, and we need to attend to that and make sure that we fight for that next round of jobs here in the state of Michigan. But I can say as a car consumer, I just recently bought a car. The Chevy Bolt is a great product at a great price. And I would encourage everyone to take a look at that because with the federal credits out there, it's just a very advantaged price. And if we can pass some state credits to make that even better, I think that would be, uh, it would be nice for consumers. One of the issues with the electric cars that has been raised more and seems to be slowing down sales for Northern states, especially is the problem with the range for the vehicles, especially in cold weather. You're right in the center of probably the world's greatest research for automobiles and especially for electric vehicles. Is this something that we can overcome in the near future? I think it is for two reasons. One, because of my personal experience, as I mentioned, I bought a, a Chevy Bolt EUV and I've been driving it through now a couple of winters and I'm commuting about 75 miles from my house to where I work at the Capitol. And I don't have any problem getting from my home to the Capitol and back even on one charge if I don't charge my own Lansing, it's even in the winter. Uh, on some of the worst days. Now, sometimes I have to take some measures like drive a little slower or something. The range is better, I think, than people believe. But I think that the, the most critical thing that we need to do to support uh, the purchases of electric vehicles and to support people's anxiety that maybe the range is going to become a problem for them is that we need to really do a full court press on putting more charging stations out there for people. There should be charging stations at rest areas and at park and rides. And there should be charging stations as well located near highway exits, near restaurants. We need to find opportunities to put them in apartment complexes and in downtowns. We need to have a really robust charging infrastructure. That's really the solution to range anxiety. What other issues do you see the legislature dealing with in 2024 to further Michigan's leadership on battling climate change? The bills that we passed in the fall were really significant. They set a high standard for clean energy, driving us towards 100% clean energy uh, by 
2040 and setting uh, an interim standard that is going to you know, create jobs in Michigan and mean that we're going to be able to retire you know, all the coal plants earlier. And it also puts the gas plants in a position where we're going to be able to talk about retiring them as well and get off of fossil fuel. Uh, we also had a strong energy efficiency standard included in that. And we also gave the Michigan Public Service Commission the authority to consider climate in the IRPs. These are the long-range plans that the utilities are required to, to do. In addition, we also passed this increasing energy efficiency standard that's going to save people money and put a whole lot of people to work doing it. Looking forward, that doesn't cover the waterfront in terms of, I think, everything we should be doing to address climate and to take advantage of the opportunities there are out there to be leaders in clean energy. And so some of the things that, that I'm focused on as next steps after we did that important work are uh, issues like community solar. So right now, we have big opportunities in Michigan for very large-scale solar arrays, uh, but we don't have the right rules in place for medium-sized and consumer-scale rooftop systems. Uh, the rules for both of those really have not been uh, set up in a way that propels the solar industry and gives people the opportunity and the freedom to invest in our clean energy future. Because the, the, the key thing here is that solar has become so cheap these are, are great opportunities for people. So one of the things I've been pushing is something called community solar. This is something they have in a lot of other states. And what this is a system whereby people can subscribe to like a solar co-op. And so rather than having to have the panels on your home, because maybe you live in an apartment, maybe you live on a very a tree-covered area and you don't have good sun. So this would allow you to subscribe to a sort of cooperative array off-site and then have the benefits of that solar attributed to your bill. The, the additional benefit of this I like to share with people is that these large-scale solar arrays aren't going to create jobs and investments in our cities. But in, our, in some of our cities, we have some of these large uh, brownfields that may be 30 acres, 50 acres. Those would be perfect to uh, locate something like this that would be a benefit to the community, that would create jobs and investment, that would not continue to be a polluted eyesore, and that would contribute to our energy needs. Allowing community solar could create some interesting opportunities for the state of Michigan. Also, we're, we need to improve the rules for rooftop solar. Right now, the utilities have rigged the system so that people don't get a fair price for the energy that they put back on the grid. We need to give people a more fair price so that when folks are considering investing in rooftop solar, that the economics of that make more sense. Because once again, I want to stress, if you look at what is the cost of building new solar energy versus what is the cost of building new fossil fuel resources, the solar is now cheaper and we need to take advantage of that. But there's more that we need to do with training our workforce. There's a lot that we can do at the state level and I think that we should do to invest in relationships with our union partners, but also with our community colleges to make sure that people are exposed to the opportunities with things like heat pumps and heat exchangers. Michigan could put thousands of people to work making long-term improvements to our state that actually save more money than they cost. And I'll repeat that. We could put thousands of people to work in good-paying jobs, building improvements that save more money than they cost. So the question isn't whether or not we can afford to do it. The question is, we're going to pay, well, the, the answer is we're going to pay for it either way. Do we want to get the jobs and improvements or do we just want to keep paying for expensive fossil fuels that ruin our climate?
And then also I'll just throw this out there as well. That there's more that we need to do to hold polluters accountable. One of the reasons why fossil fuels are so terrible is because of all the externalities. There's all these things that they're doing to our environment and to our health that are not accounted for in the economic model. And we need to hold these polluters accountable so that we have less pollution in our communities, less pollution in our water, less pollution in our air, and less pollution in our lungs. It seems like one of the great untapped resources we've got for solar are our factories and warehouses. They typically have flat roofs, great locations for solar panels. Do you see the potential for some sort of an further encouragement for industry to adopt solar just as a part of their building plans as they're putting up these plants? Well, th that's exactly why we need to fix the rules for people who are generating energy who aren't the big investor-owned utilities, right? Right now, those entities are, they exist to serve the interests of their shareholders and their interests are very much attuned to what Wall Street wants, not what we need in our communities. And so as a result, they have set up a system in Michigan where it's not very advantageous for people to generate their own electricity. We need to fix those rules because it will make it more economical for companies and for people, for farmers, for all sorts of folks to generate energy on their own site. Now, even though the rules are so terrible, more and more of those opportunities are becoming economically viable just because solar is becoming so cheap. And so you're seeing more and more companies move that direction. My personal view is that we should uh, do more at the state level to create opportunities to to make uh, to give people the freedom to invest in a clean energy future, because I think that's how we create jobs here. I think that's how we uh, make Michigan more energy independent. And I think it's also good for our environment. And, and, and my goal as a state senator and as a Democrat is to fight for the public interest, not for any specific corporation's interest. Let us shift to pure politics for just a moment before we wrap up. And that is the issue of motivating the youth vote. There are a lot of concerns that the enthusiasm amongst younger voters is not nearly as high as it has been in previous elections. You, of course, have a huge university right in the middle of your district with the University of Michigan. What are you hearing and what are you doing along with other candidates to make sure that student vote and that young vote does get out? One of the things that I'm trying to do and that I think all Democrats should be thinking about is how do we honestly and aggressively represent issues that are important to all voters, but in, in the case of your question, specifically to young voters. We need to speak directly to them about what it is we're doing, what it is we care about, and how it is we're uh, exhibiting that in our day-to-day -day work as political actors, as elected officials, as activists, uh, etc. And then we also need to listen to them and continue that conversation relationship and work with them as partners, not as a voting block. I think that's part of it in, in terms of positionally. I think that more tactically, one of the things that I do focus on a lot that I think is very important and builds a bridge with young voters are these issues around clean air, clean water, and how do we protect the uh, world uh, for future generations? Many young voters are absolutely sick about what has been done to the world that they need to live in. And the considerations that I've had to have about having a family or not are considerations that, that, that they're about to face in, in an environment that is even more difficult. 
These are really serious concerns that young people have about what has been done to the environment over the course of the last century, really. I think also getting to questions of, of people's rights and, and, and what are we doing to stand up for people who want to live authentically, uh, but in a way that is maybe different than traditional uh, uh, path. Those things are, are very important. And I think we've got good messages on those elements. But I also think that right now, one of the important things we need to acknowledge is that there is a heartfelt cry for peace in the Middle East, peace specifically in Gaza. And I think young people need to hear from folks who are believably concerned about that and who are taking steps to lessen and stop the violence, stop the killing of innocent people. And, and I think that Democrats can do that in a way that shows concern for the deaths of people who are of Jewish faith and the deaths of people who are of Muslim faith, people who are dead innocent folks who died be because of violence that was caused by Hamas and people who are innocent who are dying because of bombs that are falling on them ever since October 7th. So I think that there needs to be more done to show con concern and to uh, marshal that concern into action that will help people. In the last presidential primary, I supported Bernie Sanders. There's a range of reasons why I did that. One of them is because I think as Democrats, we're really missing the mark if we don't push strongly and clearly for national health care. I think that should be the central pillar of every presidential campaign. Everyone should have health care. It's a winning issue. It's the right thing to do. All the math shows that it would actually reduce costs for people. That's a fight we should take up. Senator Jeff Irwin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We would welcome you back in the future to discuss the many other issues you're working on. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be on the podcast. And thanks for what you do to get out the word about what's happening in Lansing. One of the biggest things that we need to do as Democrats is just get out the word about what's happening. People don't know what Democrats are fighting for in Lansing. And people don't know what some of these Republicans are doing in Lansing. There are some absolutely low down antics that these Republicans are pulling off in Lansing. And the more that people know about what it is that we're really pushing for to help the working class do, do have a better life, to help protect our environment for now and for future generations, to make sure that people struggling with mental health or poverty have a hand up, that's what we're fighting for. And if people knew that and had more detail about what it is we're doing and more detail about what it is that Republicans are doing in Lansing, I think that we would do better as a country. This week's Trump outrage, the continuing inability of Congress to do anything about the border crisis. In the process, they're bowing to both Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin by refusing to continue to support Ukraine. Trump has effectively taken full control of the Republicans in Congress. He's also taking full control of the Republican National Committee, by installing a Trump-backing acolyte as the new chair, his daughter-in-law as co-chair, and his campaign manager as chief operating officer. You can be sure he will use the Republican Party as his personal bank account to pay for his massive legal bills. On the plus side, there were developments in two of his many court cases in the last few days. The business fraud case is over, with Trump and his children hit with $364 million in penalties, a three-year ban on Trump doing business in New York, and a two-year ban on his two oldest sons. And a trial date has been set in the New York criminal case over his fraudulent claim that his hush money payments to Stormy Daniels were a legal expense. That trial is set to begin next month. 
still pending, a Supreme Court decision on Trump's ridiculous claim that he has total immunity for crimes committed while he was president. And that's this week's update from your Democratic Party. I'm LaVora Barnes. Thank you for listening. Paid for by the Michigan Democratic Party, 606 Townsend, Lansing, Michigan, 48933.